Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream and those of you here in our auditorium as well. We are in Galatians chapter 4 as we're working our way through the book of Galatians. And we're in the second half of the book. And I titled this message this morning, Paul's Personal Plea. This is a very personal section of the book of Galatians, especially starting in verse 12. We read verse 12 through 20 in our service a minute ago. This is the, the strongest words of personal affection uh, that Paul has to these Galatians in the entire book, in these verses that we're looking at this morning. So I want to point out a few things. I want you to remember that at the end of last week's passage, verse 11, Paul used this expression. He says, I'm afraid for you. And at the end of today's passage, he will say, I have doubts about you. It just means that he was very concerned for some things among the believers in Galatia. And he's pointing those out as a good father would do. And uh, as their spiritual father and leader, he's saying, I'm concerned about a lot of things that are going on there. And we'll see some of those things in today's message. He pleads with them in verse 12. Uh, to uh, accept him as he has accepted them, even to defend him as he has defended them. He refers to his physical infirmities in the flesh, and we'll spend some time on that wondering exactly what that was, but uh, Paul knew that when he appeared before them, he was not the most presentable in his flesh. He had a lot going on in his life at that time. He scolds them, for gullibility, for falling to emotional pleas from these Judaizers who turned them away from Paul and gathered them uh, to themselves. And of course, as I said, he expresses doubt even about their faith and about their maturity. So we'll look at these kinds of things. It's an interesting passage this morning. You know, one of the hardest things, or two of the hardest things, for the unbelieving world as they look at us as Christians, hard for them to understand. One is why we have conflict among ourselves, why within the body of Christ and within, among believers we have our own disagreements, uh, sometimes across the board, of course, in wider circles, and sometimes even within uh, local churches themselves. There can be disagreements. There can be, uh, as Paul is pointing out here to them, uh, scolding them in a way, saying, let's get back on track. And of course, uh, the world doesn't understand hypocrisy. And if the world sees hypocrisy in believers, in you or me or in a church or whatever, uh, they don't understand that either. Of course, we don't like it, but we understand Christians aren't perfect either. The Christians still have sin, still have carnality in lives. And yet we deal with it, and we try to deal with it in a biblical way, the way God asks us to deal with those kinds of things. Unfortunately, the world lets those things turn them away from the faith and turn them away from uh, hearing God's word, and that's the sad part of it. Paul wanted to be sure that the believers in Galatia were on the right track and uh, where they should be. So, as we begin these verses, notice that I have... Uh, three things that I've divided this passage up into, 
and I'm expressing these in negative ways. I think that's kind of what Paul was saying to them. Don't disdain the messengers that come to you just because physically they don't appear like you would like them to be. Don't reject the truth out of e emotionalism and emotional pleas. And lastly, don't hinder your growth and the growth of others spiritually by what you're doing. So uh, we begin in, in verse 12, and uh, notice again in this verse, brethren, uh, he says, I urge you to become as I am, for I am as you are, and you've not injured me at all. Don't disdain the messengers physically. Remember when Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse to anoint the king of Israel. This is David's house. And uh, he saw all of David's brothers and he thought, boy, there are good looking boys. Surely one of these is the king. And little old David, he was out with the sheep somewhere. Remember that? And uh, Samuel might have picked out the wrong guy. And God said this to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him, some of the brothers. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And of course, that's the way we should look also. And so I say don't disdain the, the messengers physically because they don't, you don't agree with them, or secondly, because of what they look like. We disagree with them, therefore we don't like them. I don't like somebody because I disagree with them. Uh, the two things aren't necessarily the same. I, notice I say because of conviction, and look at verse 12 again, and there are basically two ways that we could take this verse, and maybe both of them are true. One of them would be for Paul to say, look, I gave up my Judaism to come to Christ by faith, I'm asking you to do the same thing. Why do you want to go back into Judaism? In other words, uh, he, he says, I urge you to become as I am because I, I'm like you. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I gave up those things. Why don't you give up those things? That's one way to look at it. And the other might be this, where Paul says, look, I defended you down in Jerusalem before the apostles and before the church down there, I defended you. I'm asking you to defend me now. These Judaizers come in here and they're trying to change what I have told you, to change the word of God, to take you back under the law when you don't need to be under the law. I defended you, you defend me. And I think maybe uh, either is what he's saying here. You remember... Uh, you know, we, we don't agree with people and we change our minds quickly. When Paul was saved, you remember he came to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and he was a persecutor uh, of the Christians. And boy, the Jewish people loved him. The high priest gave him letters and yeah, you go get those Christians and everything. Paul gets to Damascus and God converts him and immediately what? Those were, that were his friends become his enemies, and they try to kill Paul. Remember that? Oh, almost overnight. Or remember in Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas were up there in Galatia, they came preaching the gospel, and they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul uh, uh, Hermes because these are Greek gods. 
and these Judaizers come into town and on the same day change the people's minds and they end up stoning Paul that night. That's how fast people's uh, minds can change uh, when their, uh, or their actions change, I should say, when their mind changes. And we should not let that happen to us. Notice at the end of verse 12, he says, you have not injured me at all. I, I think the way to take that is, uh, I take no offense by this. You're being persuaded the wrong way. You're being persuaded by people that uh, are teaching falsehood. And so I, I'm not offended by what you are and what you've, what you've done. I'm just asking you, agree with the word of God and agree with me. So because of convictions, uh, we can't uh, dismiss a, a messenger uh, that we ought to be agreeing with. But secondly, verses 13 through four, uh, 15 uh, is one of the most interesting passages about the Apostle Paul, where basically he points out, I was not much to look at when I came before you. When I preached, you accepted me, and uh, I, I was about the worst spectacle to look at the, that uh, you've ever seen, and now all of a sudden you're rejecting me. Why is that? So notice these verses. I'll read them to us again. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first, when I first came into Galatia. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was that blessing you enjoyed? Notice the question mark. Where did it go? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul is saying, you don't reject a messenger because of what he looks like, do you? You accept somebody because of what he says, regardless of what he or she, uh, if your friend or whoever it is, look like. Remember in 2 Corinthians 10, 7, Paul said this to the Corinthians, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? almost like uh, God was saying to, to Samuel also. You don't look at things according to the outward appearance. You don't look at a messenger as he's speaking to you and say, well, I just don't like the way he looks, therefore I don't believe anything he says. Do we do that? And Paul is pointing out, you didn't do that when I came to you, and you shouldn't do it now. Do you look according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ. Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. I'm, I'm giving to you what Jesus gave to me, and you should not reject it. You know, folks, we, we live in a visual society. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, but from the 20th century on, uh, we have been so uh, conditioned by what we see, and up until that point throughout history, that wasn't so. Basically, you were conditioned by what you read or what you heard, but today the visual aspect is all around us, isn't it? From the time that you could take photographs and put them in front of people, but especially when television began and now the Internet, uh, we are so persuaded by what we see, and people know that. I think one of the downfalls of, of uh, our age, if you ask me, is the commercial. 
You know, people are telling us to buy things by what we see on a screen. And they're not telling us anything about the product. They're just putting beautiful people in front of us and pleasant situations, and therefore we're supposed to run out and buy their product. And we do. Because somehow we think, boy, I, I like the way that looks, so, so I'm going to buy it. Do we do that with the truth also? Uh, do we just uh, uh, accept what anybody says because we like the way a person looks? And Paul is pointing out to them, I wasn't so beautiful when you looked at me, but you received the truth. You received it as if it came from Jesus Christ himself. And I want to point out to you two things about uh, because of uh, what Paul looked like. Number one, he was not physically attractive, and yet he was maybe the greatest speaker of, of the church age, right? But he was not much to look at. But secondly, he was very persuasive in what he said. So he was not very physically attractive. Do you remember when we were talking earlier in the book, uh, we read 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, where in that letter Paul says of his enemies, what they're saying is, his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. And then his enemies said this, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. The way he talks and the way he looks, why would you listen to him? That's, that's what his enemies were saying. I read this in A.T. Robertson's uh, commentary. A.T. Robertson was maybe America's greatest Greek scholar from a century ago. And he's quoting a book from the, the second century, and he says this. In the second century, a book called The Acts of Paul and Theda, Paul is pictured. Now, he's going back to the second century, what someone wrote in the second century. Paul is pictured as small, short, bow-legged, with eyebrows knit together, and an aquiline nose. I had to look up the word aquiline myself, but it means an eagle nose, <laughs> you know, kind of a hooked nose. Here comes Paul into your town to preach like that. And yet he says, though I did, you received me as an angel of God. You received me as, as you would Jesus Christ. That's the way you should think and not reject me because of, of what I look like. Do you know that that uh, the Jews and others in those days believed that sometimes because of the way you look or maybe a deformity that you are born with, it's because God's curse was upon you. As a matter of fact, John chapter 9, it says, Now Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, what did his parents do that he was born like this? You know, Jesus had to correct that. Paul's correcting it here. Now, I want you to notice these words. In verse 13, he talks about his physical infirmity or his firmity in the flesh. Asthenia means sickness, a weakness. Uh, what is that infirmity that he had? I enjoyed reading all the different viewpoints about this, and it is kind of interesting because we do know that Paul had certain infirmities that he carried with him all of his life. As a matter of fact, maybe one of the reasons that Dr. Luke went along with him is because he needed a doctor uh, a lot of the times. One view is 
that he had malaria. And one of the reasons for this view is that when he got to Galatia, he spent very little time in the lowlands where it was known in those days uh, it was easy to get malaria. And so you see Paul traveling to the higher elevations. I think that's scanty evidence, but I mean, that, that's the way they're presenting it, that uh, the way he traveled was to avoid this because he had something like malaria, which would have been very common in those days, and it affected, of course, the way he looked. That's one way to look at it. A, a second thing about the infirmity is perhaps he's talking about his very persecutions that came to him. He was stoned in Galatia, left for dead. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's talking about his thorn in the flesh. Some people believe that the thorn in the flesh were actually the persecutions that he received. And he'll use the word infirmities to refer to all of the things that he suffered at the hands of his enemies. And so since he was stoned there, he might be referring to uh, the actual stoning. And the third view, which I like myself, but uh, some people take this or not, is that, that basically his eyes were so bad uh, and maybe affected by a disease like malaria or something else, or maybe wounded uh, because of his beatings and all that he took, but that he just could not see very well. And his eyes were not much to look at. That might be but whatever it is, notice in verse 14, he says, you did not despise me when I came to speak with you. That word despise means to hold in contempt. It means to set aside, and you didn't do that. As a matter of fact, you looked at Barnabas, and you called him Zeus, and you heard me speak, and you called me Hermes. The, the, the name Hermes is where we get the word hermeneutics, the speaker, uh, the interpreter. And so here's Zeus, uh, you know, here's Barnabas that looks like Zeus, and here's Paul who speaks like Hermes. I mean, that's how you accepted us. Uh, you didn't despise the way we, we came to you at all. Now, I want to say something about his eyes because notice uh, in verse 15, if it were possible, and it wasn't, of course, not in those days anyway, if it were possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Because of that statement, sometimes we think that Paul had bad eyesight and he could not see. I think there's some evidence for that. Number one, we know that often when Paul wrote his letters under inspiration, that he had someone else actually writing and he was dictating to them. We find that in Romans 16.22, where it says, at the end of, of the book of Romans, it says, I, Tertius, not Paul, but I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle. And I ask you, who wrote the epistle to the Romans? <laughs> well, Paul did. And yet, he may have been dictating it. Isn't that interesting how inspiration still took place by God inspiring Paul but someone else actually writing it down. And yet that may have happened. It did with Jeremiah and Baruch. Jeremiah dictated to Baruch and he wrote down. So Tertius may have been Silas. Some people believe that's another name for Silas who was traveling with him on the second missionary journey and, and so forth. So maybe one 
evidence that he didn't have good eyesight is because uh, often he didn't write alone. But in this letter, Galatians uh, chapter 6 and verse 11, you see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. In other words, somebody who can't see well, what's, what is his writing going to look like? Very large letters so that he himself can see them. You see with what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. It could be because his eyesight wasn't very good. And a third thing, you remember in Acts 22, he's brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And boy, they are wanting his life. They're wanting to stone him to death. And uh, uh, the high priest is sitting in that room with Paul, and the high priest says something, and Paul calls him a whited sepulcher. Remember that? And they slap Paul on the face, and they say, are you going to speak to the high priest like that? And Paul says in that verse, brethren, I did not know that he was the high priest. Sitting across the room, he didn't know who he was. So maybe there are small evidences here and there in the Bible that Paul just couldn't see well, and his eyes were a mess. And, and if the other description of him uh, uh, were that bad, uh, you know, uh, maybe you look at this guy and say, I don't know if I want to listen to this guy or not. He's not one of those, you know, golden-tongued orator. Well, he, he, could, he had oratory all right, but he wasn't much to look at. It's in 2 Corinthians 12 where he talks about the thorn in the flesh. That he was taken to the third heaven to see heaven and see what is in heaven. And because that could, could give you all kinds of pride and lift you up in a way that shouldn't be, God gives him a thorn in the flesh to humble him. Remember that? And so he says in verse 7 of that chapter, Lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted among measure. Sometimes God lets us have certain disadvantages to keep our pride in check. And that's okay. And if that's what his physical infirmities were, to keep him from being prideful, he said, that's fine with me. You know, I thought of a couple other examples that I, I know of in church history. One was George Whitfield, one of America's greatest evangelists. And George Whitfield was short and had what they called a lazy eye. In other words, one eye that was kind of out of control. And, and uh, so he was short. He wasn't much to look at. And yet he was one of America's greatest evangelists. Uh, he he was, was a good friend of Ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin printed his messenger, messages. And one time Franklin, while Whitfield was preaching, uh, I think in Boston it was, he Whitfield walked, he, he, he measured how many people could fit in like a 10-foot square area, and then he walked off how far back the, the crowd was, and he estimated that Whitfield was speaking to maybe 30,000 people at once. One of America's greatest evangelists, but to look at him, bad eyes, you didn't know what he was looking at, short little guy. Uh, and all the rest, but a great evangelist. Another example I remember was a man named Christmas Evans. 
He was a whale, from Wales, and it was born on Christmas Day in 1766, so they named him Christmas as his first name, probably Chris, but, you know, Christmas Evans. When he became a believer as a boy, his former friends out of the world beat him up because he had become a Christian. And in that beating caused him to lose one eye. And so he was blinded in one eye. The eye was all the way closed. And the other eye was very large. Kind of a strange looking little boy. And yet, Wales' greatest evangelist was Christmas Evans. I thought of somebody like Joni Erickson Tata. You know, here's a girl who, because of a diving accident when she was 17, became a paraplegic and is in a wheelchair, and yet a great speaker uh, and, and has a great ministry today. I thought of Charles Cradhammer, not as a Christian man, but, you know, the same thing happened to him, and a great speaker and well-received wherever he went. In other words, your appearance, folks, is God's business. That's what I'm saying. And whatever, whatever disadvantages you think you have, and the, from the sound of your voice to the, the way you look to whatever your fears are and the rest, uh, that's God's business. God made you the way he made you to use you in the way he wants to use you. And never slight that. Now, I say secondly, not only because he was physically uh, not physically attractive, but he was very persuasive because back in verse 14 of our text, you receive me as an angel of God. Uh, you, you know, take the comparison there the way it should be. He's talking about real angels, real angels from God. Uh, if, if a real angel from God appears and talks to you, you listen. Think of the, the angels that, that appeared throughout the scripture. Uh, think of the ones who appeared at the tomb of Jesus when he was resurrected. If an angel appears to you, you listen. And what he's saying, with all of my infirmities, with all my disadvantages, I came and spoke the word of God to you, and you received me as if I were an actual angel from God speaking to you. We can do that too. We can do that if we put ourselves in God's hands. He's, he says there also, where then is the blessing, verse 15, where is the blessing that you once enjoyed? Why have you turned against me? Now remember what was happening in Galatia. Here he came, preached the gospel with all of these disadvantages. They listened to him, they received him, and they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And now only months have gone by, and these Judaizers have come into town and said, you don't want to listen to that guy. Look at him. He's a terrible speaker. And you need to go back to the law like you should have been in the first place and quit practicing that Christianity that Paul is preaching. And they were, and going back to those old things. That's why Paul's saying, I'm afraid for you. I'm concerned about you. Where was that blessing that, that was there when I first brought you the, the gospel? What happened to it? That's why he's arguing the way he is. He said in that 2 Corinthians 12 passage, when he says, oh, Lord, take this, take this physical infirmity away from me. Uh, you know, give me my eyesight back or wh whatever the infirmity was. And it was God who said to them, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Because you are weak, because you have those disadvantages, 
If you will put yourselves in my hand, I will use you in great ways. And so Paul says, if that's the truth, then I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's the way we need to put ourselves in his hand. Zechariah said, it's not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit, saith the Lord. That's where our power comes from. So don't disdain messengers because of their physical appearance is what I'm saying. Second and third, if you will. That was my longest point for you clock watchers, so don't worry. I'll, I'll finish in time. Don't reject the truth out of emotions. Let's go back to verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you truth? They zealously, three times this word's going to appear here, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. Verse 18, it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. Let's think about this for a moment. I liked what Robert Gromacki in his little commentary said. Gromacki said, The paradox is that the apostle became their enemy by telling the truth, and the Judaizers became their friends by telling lies. You ever see a situation like that? Somebody who's telling the truth becomes an enemy to people, and somebody who's telling them lies becomes their hero, becomes their friend. That was happening to Paul in this case. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 6 in the book of Galatians. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. In other words, they're, they're telling you lies. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. This can't happen. You know why I, I think it was happening? Back to where we are. Skip all the way over to chapter 6 and look at verse 12. As many as desire to make a good show, or a good showing, excuse me, in the flesh, these try to compel you out of that zealousness to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer, notice, persecution for the cross of Christ. In other words, why were they following the lie? Why were they following the Judaizers? Because they may be stoned if they don't. Paul was stoned for it. And if you don't follow the crowd, and if you don't go where these people go, they may hurt you. You ever hear of such a thing? Yeah, it's all over our country right now, isn't it? If you don't follow the crowd and do what we want to do, we may hurt you. That's happening everywhere, and it always has happened. So notice I say don't reject the truth emotionally, first of all, just because of the facts. And that's why he says in verse 16, I'm telling you the truth. I'm giving you the facts. The law is done. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to keep the law to be saved. That's the truth. 
Again, I like that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because that's the, that's the chapter where Paul was taken to heaven. So he, he, he's, taking up to, he's taken up to the third heaven. This didn't happen to very many people in the scripture. Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, John on Patmos, Paul here was taken up to heaven. And he comes back and he says in verse 6 of that chapter, Though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. And then he says, because I will speak the truth. Paul comes back and he starts talking about what heaven is and what hell is. And somebody says, well, Paul, I disagree with you and I don't like what you're saying and we want you to stop talking about hell and stop talking about things like that. And Paul says, I can't help it. I saw it. I've got to tell you the truth. Now, folks, really, that's what we as believers do when we give the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't want to hear that they're sinners. <laughs> that's what the Bible plainly teaches. They don't want to hear that, that if you die without Christ, you go to a Christless eternity in a place called hell and then the lake of fire. They don't want to hear it. But we have to say, but it's the truth. It's what is there. I've said to you often, I wish there weren't a hell. But who am I? God's the one that made it. God's the one that designed it. I have to say what he says about it, and the Bible's pretty plain about that. So even with those facts, we have to give what is there. But people will not believe because of facts. But more than that, secondly, people don't believe because of emotionalism. If you can emotionally charge them up, Boy, that's all they need. So in verse 17, that word zealous appears twice in kind of a, the negative way. But in verse 18, it can be a positive thing. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you might be zealous for them. And then in verse 18, of course, zealousness, uh, emotion for a good thing is okay. It's always okay. In other words, you know, if you follow the crowd and do what they want, you're called a fan. But if you go against a crowd and do what they don't want, you're called a fanatic. You know, both come from the same root word, but isn't that the truth? And Paul found that all of his life. As long as he was going in his old life as a Pharisee of a Pharisee, boy, they love Paul. Here's more letters. Go get them, Paul. But as soon as he changed, he's that fanatic, you know, that Paul uh, apostle, that fanatic. And Christians find themselves in that also. I want you to notice in verse 17 the word exclude. They want to exclude you. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily they don't want you around. Oh, they want you around but they want you to be quiet. They don't want you to voice any uh, opposite opinion. They will exclude you in that sense. I'll tell you something that happened to me just a couple, I think uh, two mornings ago, I was finishing my New Testament reading in Revelation 20. And I get to that place where Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. And so I'm reading along and it says, they bound him, cast him into a bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him. And I'm thinking, well, that's good. I'm glad they do that to Satan. But I noticed that that word shut him up, ekleo, I said, that's the same word 
that it's used in our text here in Galatians. In other words, in Galatians 17, they want to shut you up. <laughs> I, I looked up that word again, and it does mean that. But when they say shut you up, it means like incarcerate you. They want to enclose you like you would put somebody in jail. They're pretty shut up. They're pretty closed. We use that you know, more in the sense of speech when they say, when we say, you know, somebody needs to shut up, we don't mean incarcerated, we mean be quiet. I had to laugh because that's one, another one of those words my mother never let us say. If you wanted to taste lice open your mouth, you say to somebody, shut up. So I don't know why my mother is just one of her things, but you never say shut up. But I really like it here. <laughs> Because I'll be glad when Satan is shut up. He has no more to say for a thousand years. Not only is he, will he not say it, he'll be bound and put away for a thousand years. But the point here is this, that Paul is making. You go along with them, and you're their, you are their greatest fan, and they love you for it, but they won't allow you to say anything contrary. You know, I know... Uh, I, I've read uh, Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler's uh, autobiography, really, is what it is. He, he was the founder of, of multimedia presentations. In Nuremberg in the 60s, he had these great rallies. Remember, you've seen pictures of all these thousands of people cheering, and they're standing shoulder by shoulder. And I read that book to find this quote because I'd seen it before and I found it and basically he said if I can get everybody standing shoulder to shoulder swaying back and forth and shouting the same thing I can get them to believe anything I want them to believe isn't that an amazing statement that's why he did it that way if you can crank up the emotionalism to such a place people will follow anything for the emotion of it and even be excluded in what they're saying. Boy, that happens all the time. Now, emotion can be then used in a negative way, but Paul says in verse 18, but it, it can be a good thing. You can, you, can, you can be persuaded and be zealous to a good thing. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 3 and twice in that chapter, verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Verse 33, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So if you will put your emotion and your zealousness in the right place, it can be a good thing. But you put it in the wrong place, it can be a bad thing. How many... How many good young people on college campuses right now this weekend are screaming and shouting because of the emotion of things, but absolutely screaming and shouting what is not true? Proves our point, doesn't it? The LGBTQ crowd, especially the G part of it these days, uh, the gender part of it, how many are screaming and shouting for that and persecuting those who disagree, and yet it's a lie? What Paul's saying is the truth. And unbelievers do the same thing. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I don't want to hear all that negative stuff. I don't want to hear what I have to do. I want you to leave me alone. So it, it happens. 
So don't reject truth out of emotions. Follow the truth for what it is, and no matter what it costs you. And that's what chapter 6, by the way, uh, and verse 12 was saying. Do you do it so that you don't suffer persecution for the cross of Christ? Is that what you're going to do? Follow the crowd and, and the emotion of it because I don't want to be hurt? I don't want to be spoken against? Paul said that's, that was the danger in there. Now, one last thing, and I'll do it quickly. In verses 19 and 20, the very spiritual growth was being hindered by this problem that was going on. Verse 19, my little children, very diminutive, meaning sweet little kids, my precious little ones, we might say to our grandkids, my little children, for whom I labor in birth, number one, until Christ is formed in you, number two. And that's why I have two, two thoughts there. Spiritual birth, it means here uh, birth pangs. I mean, it's the way we would say it in our language. You know, giving birth isn't easy. I don't know, but some of you ladies know giving birth isn't easy. And it's a, it's a struggle, isn't it? Paul is saying... When I gave spiritual birth to you, it wasn't easy. I was stoned in your country. I was run out of town. I still have, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, he'll say at the end of this letter. It wasn't easy to give you spiritual birth. And so I am zealous over this in a good way because there are people coming in here wanting to reverse the process or tell you you're not saved, or keep people from being saved. And so he says, this kind of problem will hinder the growth spiritually, number one, in the birthing process, but number two, in the spiritual growth process, even it, you being formed, Christ being formed in you, the maturing process is hard. Here I am now as a spiritual father, and you're little children, and I'm trying to build you up in Christ. I'm trying to get you to follow Christ, and that isn't easy. <laughs> the birthing process isn't easy, and that isn't either. I, I uh, have in my file somebody described raising children and said, when they are little, they're a handful, but when they're grown, they're a heart full. You know, just the, the emotional pain that we go through when children are older, it's hard to raise them as much as it is to give them birth. And so that's what Paul is saying here. So following the crowd, following things that are not true, following what is emotionally appealing will hinder spiritual birth and it will hinder spiritual growth. We need to follow the truth of Scripture. I take verse 20 kind of as a, as a conclusion. I would like to be present with you now and to and to change my tone, I, I'd like to see you face to face and maybe, you know, we can talk easier than what I'm writing for I have doubts about you. I, I'm at a loss, that word means. I'm perplexed. I, I'm at my wit's end, he might say. I'm afraid of you, he said in verse 11. So folks, don't let worldly, selfish, fear and pressure keep you from following Christ fully. Number one, don't follow pretty people. 
because of what they say. Number two, don't be hypnotized by their emotion, number two. And number three, don't be hindered by carnality. Follow Christ with all your heart. Paul will say toward the end of his life, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That's where we should be. And let us stay on that path all of our, all of our lives. All right, stand with me if you will. As we stand and pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and put us on the path that we need. Let's go to him in prayer before we sing a song of invitation. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you, Father, for the words that it says. Thank you for the truth that it gives. And Father, as we reflect back to a problem that we see in our own day that was in Paul's day 2,000 years ago, of following things that aren't true, following things because of beautiful people, following things because uh, it's emotionally pleasing. Father, I pray you'd teach us as your children, as your dear children, to follow you in every situation, regardless of the cost or, or uh, what people say, but for the truth's sake, which dwells in us and will be with us forever. So bless now, Father, as we sing and we reflect on these things. May your spirit speak to our hearts. May, may the word of God convict us in the way that we need. And I pray that we would respond to that in the way that we should. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation is always open as, as we sing. I'm here at the front. If you want to come even as we're singing or when our service is dismissed, uh, I remain here if you need help. Gordon will come and lead us in this song.